We are in the last Sunday of our Meals with Jesus sermon series. Uh, I hope it's been, um, like I said, more than a novelty. Uh, I love Jesus. I love food. Stick them together. It's a great time, right? Um, as we begin this message, uh, I want to ask you if you've ever been in a situation where there have been expectations upon your life, expectations upon you, uh, that you were supposed to do something, yet you have no idea what you're supposed to do or let alone how to do it. Have you ever been in a situation like that where yeah, <laughs> I see a few hands? Um, uh, it, maybe you were a student and you had a homework assignment that made perfect sense in class when the teacher explained it. But uh, 9 o'clock the night before the science project is due, you have no idea what you're doing or what you're supposed to come up with. Right? Uh, let see a few parents nodding on that one too. Um, maybe uh, married folks, when you, when you got married and uh, you got home from honeymoon or whatever and you kind of started to get settled in and you realized uh, that your spouse had expectations upon you that you did not know they had. They were judging you based off of a scorecard that you were not even aware that existed. There was expectations they had for what you were supposed to do or say how life was supposed to look, and you maybe didn't know that. Um, It's awfully quiet on that one. Um, Or maybe parents, uh, when you brought home that newborn baby, um, when you're at the hospital, they have nurses and staff that would shuttle the baby off to the nursery for nap time, and you get to sleep and talk and whatever. But there came a moment in time where they're like, time to go home. And I remember as a, a new parent for the first time when you got in the car and there was no nursing staff that came home with you. It was just you in the car. And uh, then you got home and it didn't come with a user's manual. <laughs> uh, for many of us, it was before Google was a thing, right? Before YouTube. YouTube, how do I take care of baby? Uh, but you found yourself at home going, oh, I'm supposed to care for this thing, and things pop up, and you're like, I have no idea I should even expect this. Right? I have no idea what to do. Maybe you started a new job, and something comes to your attention, somebody needs something from you, and you're still the new guy. I haven't been trained for this. I don't know what to do. The manager's not around, my boss isn't around, my trainer isn't around, and you just feel stuck. Isn't that the most helpless feeling? Like, you want to help, you want to do a good job, but you don't even know what you're supposed to do? That feeling is pretty unsettling and nerve-wracking, isn't it? Expectations, a need to act, a need to do something, but I don't know what it is. So, show of hands, real quick. Who likes to feel inadequate? (laughs) Uh, Who likes to be judged based off of a criteria that you're not even know exists? You don't even know exists. Who likes to be judged by a base of rules assumptions that you don't know anything about. Like nobody does, right? Obviously most of us aren't going to put ourselves in situations where we feel inadequate, we feel uncomfortable, we prefer to stay in our zones where we know what's going on. I've been here before, I know what to do. So why would I ask that question? Why am I talking about feeling uncomfortable, feeling inadequate, being in situations where you don't know what to do? Why would I ask that? Well, it has to do with this sermon series, Meals with Jesus. This week's message is called Meals as Mission. We've been looking each of the past several weeks at how Jesus used meals with people as a way of revealing God's kingdom. This very simple, ordinary, everyday thing, sitting around a table, sharing some food, is the method that Jesus used very often to reveal God's kingdom in their midst. And this week we're looking at a story that Jesus told about a meal. And he told the story about a meal while he was at a Pharisee's house having a meal. (laughs) So he's sitting around a table eating a meal and then he's going to tell a story about another meal. So meals with Jesus. I wasn't making it up. Food had a lot to do with Jesus' ministry. Luke 14, verses 16 through 23. It'll be on the screen um, if you want to follow along there or feel free to use your Bible or Bible app or whatever. Luke 14, 16 through 23. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. 
The first said, I just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of this town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Um, Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous spirit, gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that we may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen and amen. So Jesus is telling this story about a banquet. This person is hosting a banquet. And he invites everyone you think should go to a fancy, important banquet. This is a VIP type of meal, right? Um, The important people, the influential people, uh, were invited to this banquet. The people that you would want to know... The people that you would want to know... And the people that want to know you, that you would want to know you, right? So hospitality at these elite levels of society, these VIP levels of society in Jesus' day, these banquets were, were more than just a party. It was a social engagement, a, a, a social networking, uh, if you will. Um, back before social media, back before LinkedIn, this is how you networked in your community. And so you would invite people to your banquet, to your party, and you'd invite these elite people, the, the, the best, the VIPs, that, because if they came to your party, it would bolster your reputation. But beyond that, there, be, there was an assumption that kind of existed behind the scenes that if, if they came and received food from you, if they received your hospitality, that they were in some sense indebted to you so that when they had an engagement, when they had a banquet, they had a party, you would be on their invitation list. So you see what's going on here, right? Like you try to get the best people possible because you can move up in the social ladder by hosting banquets and connecting with the right guests at the parties. And so this this master of the house is having this banquet and sends out the invites to all the VIPs and none of them can come. They all decline. No, thank you. I bought some farm animals. I bought a field. I just got married and I'm not allowed out of the house or something. I don't know that. Anyways, um, fill in your reason why marriage. Anyways, they, they can't go to the party. And the master of the house is upset. Rightfully so. Like he had this, he invested all these resources in this banquet. He's, he's trying to engage with these people. And because the original group said no, he goes out and he goes and invites these people that wouldn't have gotten an invitation the sick, the poor, the lame, the ones who are forgotten, the ones that are out in the, the country roads, and they get to come to the party now. And I think it's pretty clear the implication. We've been talking about it for the past several weeks. The kingdom of God is like this great banquet feast. We've been looking at how God invites everyone to his banquet, to the table, regardless of status, regardless of background, regardless of, of you know, reputation. You get an invite to the banquet that is the kingdom of God. And again, you can't do anything to merit this invitation. This isn't an invitation because you're good enough, because you've proven worthy. No, Jesus loves everyone and invites everyone to it. Now, once you say yes, there's certain table manners. There's a certain way to live as a guest at the banquet. There's certain expectations on how you would respond inside that, but you can't earn your way into it. And so because we've been looking at this way in which Jesus is inviting everyone to God's great table, it might be an obvious conclusion for us 
to think that, well, because God invites everyone to his table, our response should be to invite other people to church. And I think that's a good conclusion. Um, but there's some things that are a little bit more complicated than that. Not too long ago, a few, few years into the past, if you rewind back in time a decade or two even, um, not long ago, people, most people had some background with the church. If you went up to a random person on the, the street, they may have grown up in church, been taken to church as a kid. Even if they weren't currently attending a church service, they had some experience with the church. Most people had some association with the church. Uh, as, a, as a pastor who's been in a couple different churches now, there's people that say that, you know, this particular church is their home church and I never met them. Um, they never participated in anything in the life of the church and they really didn't have any interest to. But if you asked them, they'd say, this is my church. Most people had some association with the church. But our culture is changing. In fact, our culture has already changed. There are kids today who have parents who never went to church. Right? But those same kids have grandparents that didn't go to church. Right? They're on the third generation. Today we have generations of people who aren't necessarily choosing to leave the church, but they've never been connected to the church. They've never been a part of the church to begin with. There are people out there today that have no idea what worship is. They don't know what baptism is. They don't know what we do inside these walls every Sunday as we gather together. It's not that they, they said, oh, I know what goes on in church, I know it well, and I've chosen, that's not for me. No, they've grown up completely separated from the church and have no idea what we do. It's irrelevant to them. They don't know what happens inside churches when we gather. They might see <clears throat> Christian leaders in the news uh, but that's almost always negative, some sort of scandal, abuse, some pastor buying a $60 million jet. If you, if you base your perception of the church based off of the news, it's, it's not going to be good. And so here's the thing. I did some math. Uh, I did a little bit of research this week outside of scriptural research. This is researching our communities. If you had a map of Battle Creek in front of you and you took a, a pin and you dropped it right on top of our church, right on top of First Church, right? Are you picturing this with me? And you draw a circle around the church that has a 10-mile radius, right? We know radius, right? From the pin to the edge of the circle, you go 10 miles around. In that circle, the line for that circle would either encompass or go through 98 different federal census blocks. We're familiar with the census, right? Stick with me. There's, there's, uh, we're going somewhere. But we're familiar with the census, right? Every decade, the federal government sends people out, come knock on your door. How many people live here? How much money do you make? You know, what do you do for a living? How long have you lived here? All that type of stuff, right? They come, they ask the questions. <clears throat> they divide the, the cities in the world, they divide the whole nation up into census blocks, Right. So our circle encompasses 98 of these census blocks. Now what's cool is you can get census data broken down for each of those blocks, demographics, how people answered those questions. So in that 10-mile radius circle around our church, um, you will find, and I double-checked this and I triple-checked it, and I had somebody else look at this too because I didn't necessarily believe it at first, but in those 98 blocks around our church, there's a population of 117,000 people. Okay, tracking so far? I know it's a little nerdy here. Um, census data tracks what they call unclaimed people. So if you Google census data, there's a column that says unclaimed people. Unclaimed people are those that responded to that question on the census survey, stating they were not part of a religious organization. These are people that are not affiliated with the church. When they said, knock, 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 where do you go to church? They said, nowhere, we have no affiliation, we don't belong to a church. We're not connected any which way, right? Those are what's called unclaimed people. The national average for the last census said 51.2% of the people in the U.S. answered that question by saying, I am unaffiliated to a church. They may believe in God. They may 
uh, have certain beliefs about Jesus or different religions, whatever, but they are not affiliated with a church organization. Okay, 51.2%, over half of Americans surveyed said they do not have religious affiliation. In those 98 census blocks around our church, 67% responded by saying they were not affiliated with a church or religious organization. So for national average, it's one out of two. In Battle Creek and surrounding communities, it's two out of every three people answered, saying they don't have a religious affiliation. 67% of 117,000 people is this number. Let me put this next slide on the screen. 78,390 people answered that survey in our 10-mile radius that they do not have an affiliation to a religious organization or institution. The implications of this are huge for us. Like I said, I double-checked these numbers because it did not seem realistic to me. I had to look through where the circle went, where the the census blocks, what cities they included, because this seemed too big of a number. But there's implications for us. It means that if we hear the story this morning of this servant that goes out to invite people to the master's banquet, and we think, huh, that's a story about us going and inviting people to church. Like, we need to be more active in inviting people to come and be a part of what we're doing. Um, That's a great response to that scripture story that we read this morning. That's a great response to what Jesus was telling his disciples in this Pharisee's house. But if we go and do that, if we take that seriously and make that our mission and make that our purpose, there is a good chance that when we go out and encounter people and invite people and talk to people, that they have zero experience with the church. Right? Two out of every three people that you run into at the grocery store, getting your hair cut, uh, waiting in line at Chick-fil-A, like two out of, maybe not Chick-fil-A, that's probably skewed in a different direction, but two out of every three people um, have zero experience connection to a church. It means that if they do come to a church service, come to be part of a church community, which... Statistics tell us, a little bit side note here, um, that people do come most often when they get a personal invitation. They can see it on Facebook sometimes. Um, They can get something in the mail or see something in the paper, yeah. But by far, the way that people come to church for the first time is a personal invite. Anywho, put that in your brain for later. But if they do come, they don't have a clue what to expect when they walk through these doors. In fact, it starts before they even get in the doors. They're at home. They're thinking, wait, we should go to church. For one reason or another, they they feel compelled to go to a church service on a Sunday morning. And the question is, well, what should we wear? What if we don't wear the right thing? How do we know if we'll fit in? Will we be singled out? Will we be told that we don't belong? Will we stand out like a sore thumb if we don't? It starts when they pull in the driveway and wonder where they're supposed to park. There are specific places that certain people park. What door do I come in? There's a lot of doors on these buildings. Which one do I go in? Where do I go when I go in that door? Right? You know those those feelings that I talked about at the beginning? Like who likes to feel inadequate? Who likes to feel lost? (laughs) Who likes to feel like there's expectations that you don't know how to navigate? Unchurched people feel that when they come to church. What are they supposed to do when they get here? Every non-Christian that walks in the door of a church has those feelings. And if you pay close attention, you can see it happening at at weddings and funerals and and stuff where people that would for no other reason come in a church find themselves here and they seem lost, out of place. And yet, even experiencing those feelings, even experiencing that sense of being unprepared, ill-prepared, feeling anxious about what I'm supposed to be doing, what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to function? Yet, some people still do come to church. Today, right now, all across the world, people are gathering at churches for the first time because they are in search of answers. They need something. They need forgiveness. They need hope. They need fellowship. They need companionship. They need prayer. They need something. And so they've, they've turned to the church 
Despite all the barriers of coming to a place that you are unfamiliar with, uncomfortable, and un, you know, all the unknown, despite all those barriers, there's people today that have come to a church service. And so as a church, we are working to be more focused on what it would look like for us to be welcoming to unchurched people. Like, what would, it, what would it look like keeping those people in mind as we made our decisions and our plans? And so some very practical, simple things that uh, it might look like. Uh, for one, it might look like me introducing myself on a Sunday morning, even though you all know who I am. <laughs> you know, I might say, oh, I'm Pastor Tanner. Because I'm introducing myself to the new person who doesn't know, right? It might look like some signage, some signs put outside and inside the building. You're like, well, I know where the church office is. I know where the foyer is. I know where the sanctuary is. But there's others who don't. It might look like a church website or a church Facebook page being geared more towards visitors than it is being used for announcements of what we're doing um, for members. It might look like Hannah or another member of the worship team explaining what it is that we do when we worship. Why do we sing these songs? Why do some people raise their hands? Why do we stand up when we do it? What's a prayer altar, right? It might like, look like taking time to explain why we do what we do. It might look like uh, decorating the church in such a way that it communicates what we believe, what we're all about, so that when people walk in, they can understand what we do here. It might look like doing things that make them feel a bit more at home, even if it makes us feel a little bit more uncomfortable, or maybe is an inconvenience for us. But it should be our goal to make this church a place that these unclaimed, unchurched, two out of every three people that we encounter, we should be working to make them feel welcome here. In fact, I'd love for First Church to be known as a place that those people love to come. That when the world is so topsy-turvy, so upside down, when there's no answers to be found elsewhere, when I've run out of options and I've run out of hope and I don't know where else to turn, I'd love for people to go, well, you should go to this First Church place. They would love to have you. It should be our goal to make our church experience a place that unchurched people love to participate in. Another implication of this census data, that was kind of the first implication, but a second one that shows over 60% of our people around us not affiliated with churches, uh, the second implication is this. We are not in competition with other churches in our area. The goal of our church is not to be more entertaining than Victory Life or the Wesleyan Church that changes its name and people tell me, I, I don't know what it's called right now. But you all know what I'm talking about. We aren't competing with the Presbyterians or the Baptists or the Catholic churches, right? It's too easy to get caught up in competition of a shrinking pool of church attenders. Like, we're not fighting over people that attend church already. The census data shows that 78,390 people don't have a church home, and that shows us that we really shouldn't be competing with other churches. That's not the mission. We're not looking for people to sit in the chairs or put money in the offering plates that come from other places. We're not trying to do church better. We're not competing with other churches. Rather, we're competing with a culture that offers answers that don't actually solve people's problems. We're competing with a way of life that leads people to anxiety, to depression, to a sense of meaninglessness, to loneliness, to despair, a desire for more and more with no satisfaction. We, as a church, are competing with a culture that invites people to find their hope in their paycheck or in a lotto ticket. We're competing with a culture that invites people to find peace in a bottle or in a handful of pills. We are competing with a culture that tells people joy can be found in how much stuff you have or what you can get other people to do for you. We are competing with a culture that shouts, what I feel is the most important thing. We're competing with a culture that lies to us, but especially to our younger people, that says that their value is determined by the number of followers or likes on a social media page. This is what I want us to to understand from this scripture lesson this morning. 
We aren't competing with other churches for a number of people in our pews or dollars in the offering plates. We're competing with a sick and dying world for the very soul of our communities. Church, this is the mission that God has given us as a church. It's easy to measure pews and offering because we can see that every week and we can go, oh, it went up or it went down and that can easily become the gauge. But the mission that Jesus has given us is to reach our community with the good news of, of his gospel. So how do we say yes to God and stay faithful to this calling? If you're like me and you see that 78,390 number, you think there's no way. That is too big, too many people, too much brokenness, too many resources required, too far gone. Where do we even begin? How do we look at Battle Creek and its surrounding communities and share with them that invitation to this great banquet? Right? 78,000 people out there, not quite 78,000 people in here. (laughs) It seems a task a little too big. For the past few weeks, in the announcement time, I've invited you to be here for this week's sermon. I've kind of spoken cryptically and vaguely about, well, you should be here. I want to share something important with you. The reason for that cryptic, weird announcement thing was so that I could ask you this question. What, as a church, are we going to do to reach our neighbors with the invitation to God's great banquet? If we're going to take this call seriously, if we're going to take our mission as a church seriously, what are we going to do to reach these two out of every three people that don't know Jesus? I wanted the weight of that question to fall on all of us together. Not only the question of do we want to be faithful to Jesus' calling, because I think I know the answer to that. I think we do. I've had so many great conversations uh, with you guys about our hopes and desires for our church to reach our community. It's not a question of do we want to be faithful, but the question of how do we stay faithful to this calling? Like, what's the plan? And maybe it's my, my years in logistics management and like that type of thing. Like, I always want to know what the plan is. <laughs> like, what are the steps? What are we doing? And as you think about how we can answer that question, I hope you can start to see that God has already been working to provide an answer to that question. Success for us as a church is not getting people to attend programs or for people to become more uh, generous with their, their money. So that's not success for us, is attendance. It's a good start, but it's not the finish line. Success for us is for people to become more like Jesus, to become disciples. So we've started defining a disciple as someone who loves God in worship, right? Who loves other people through Christian fellowship, through connection in Christian community, and and as someone who serves the world in Christian service, serving in the church and in the community. So the question for us right now is, how do we invite people to worship, connect, and serve according to the teachings of Jesus? One option is always just keep doing what we've done. That's always on the table. And we church people like that at times. It's comfortable. It's familiar. But I think if we're honest in this moment, if we take a hard look at ourselves and the way things are right now, we can say that the situation, the way things are right now, are not the way that they've always been. Things have changed, right? (laughs) If you go back two years, five years, whatever, we're not the same as we were So it doesn't make sense to pretend that we can maintain that anyways. Things change whether we want them to or not. And I know that there are some here that aren't content with the results of our current discipleship efforts. I hear the frustration, the, the desire in your voice to reach people with the good news of Jesus. You care deeply about being faithful to what God is calling us to do. I've had those conversations. As many conversations end up with this phrase, they just need to know Jesus. I agree. There are probably several methods we could try to implement to reach our communities and be faithful to God. But today, I want to introduce to you what I believe is the best first step for our church to take into our commitment to love God, love others, and to serve the world. This first step may seem like a big step, and it may seem like it comes out of nowhere to some of you. To others, it may seem like, well, an obvious thing. Well, duh, of course we're going to do this. 
But it's been years in the making and was a conversation that honestly began in earnest the first week I arrived here in Battle Creek as pastor. Recently, the board met, discussed, and gave me the approval to bring this conversation to you today. This isn't just Pastor Tanner going crazy up here on the pulpit, right? (laughs) That'll happen sometimes, but that's not what this is. 78,000 people in our communities who need Jesus, it seems like such a big job for us, and I agree. Over the past nearly two years, I've had countless conversations with Pastor Will over at Hope Church, in which we shared our church's dreams, the struggles of ministering to our community, caring for our congregations, and reaching our neighborhoods with the good news of Jesus. Pastor Will and I talk about meeting physical needs, we talk about people that are experiencing hardship and wishing we could do more to help them. We talk about meeting spiritual needs in a community that doesn't know the saving and sanctifying work of the Spirit and of Jesus. These conversations that I have with Will, they're discouraging at times because the need feels overwhelming, but they're so encouraging and life-giving that we end up planning to do ministry together. Sharing the pulpit during seasons of the church, like Lent and Advent, that came out of conversations between Will and I, just talking about how we were going to minister during that season. We plan special services together like Good Friday and Ash Wednesday. We're working together to offer ministry to those who need it. You heard we're about to relaunch another grief share session here in a few weeks. That's something that Will initiated and we're partnering with him on that. The food pantry, which has a presence over at Hope Church, although it's, uh, it's different. Um, VBS, as you heard this morning, that they're looking for help. Um, they always have a huge turnout of kids in the neighborhood, and they, they have more uh, kids than they have volunteers, so they're looking for help. Our church's collective first and hope, love for Jesus and love for Battle Creek has led us to work together, blurring the lines at times between what is First Church and what is Hope Church. We've discovered that in our efforts to do ministry and to be faithful to our calling, we're just simply better together. We can do more together than on our own. And so today I'm introducing to you a potential way for our church to love God, love others, and serve the world. I believe fully that God is orchestrating this plan. I've prayed countless hours about this. I've been in conversations with so many other people looking for guidance and wisdom and insight. Otherwise, I would not be presenting it to you this morning. The church board met together and sees the potential for missional ministry together and has approved for me to present this to you today. So the answer to the question of how do we invite our community to God's great banquet? How do we bring those 78,000 people to the table? The answer to that question is I'm suggesting that we deepen and strengthen our relationship with the congregation of Hope Church. Now the technical term, the legal term, the the thing that you'll see... uh, in the manual is called a church merger. But what I'm talking about today is in terms of a church marriage, a partnership in which two partners come together and bring all of themselves to create one new life together. Right? Then bring it to the altar and make commitments to, to do the work of that marriage together. Um, and so we're going to jump to the next set of slides. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about what, when I say merger, I know for some, like I said, this feels like a big thing to others. This is like, well, obviously this has been in the works. I want to talk through a little bit of the logistics of what that looks for, what it looks like and what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, let me transition to my paper notes. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, this will be relatively quick. Uh, so... From, the, from 1957 on, Hope Church, which used to be a different name, has functioned as an independent entity from First Church. There was an original source there, there was some overlap, but there's been two separate churches. Um, they've existed independently, but sometimes with tension and conflict. So you've got Hope in the orange circle and First Church in the light blue, gray slate. I don't know what color you call it, baby blue. Um, you can go to the next slide. Um, during a transition time... Uh, pastor Jim Spawn served as senior pastor over both. Many of you know this. If you've been around here for a while, you know that he gave leadership, senior pastor leadership to both churches. They clearly remained two separate churches. It was Pastor Spawn that 
shared responsibilities. It wasn't the churches that functioned together. And during that time, they learned to work together in a limited capacity um, to accommodate Pastor Spawn's needs and schedule and all that type of stuff. There were some accommodations there. Do you want to go to the next one? Um, over time, there was deliberate partnerships uh, developed and supporting each other. Uh, Pastor Will and Pastor Ryan uh, worked together well to develop these partnerships on certain things. Um, many of you have experienced this, worked together, did projects with Hope and First combined. Um, but it was an informal, unofficial partnership. It was like, hey, these are our brothers and sisters across town. We'll just go do stuff with them. Um, and sometimes it was just like our VBS, a call for one church to send some people to go support what the other church was up to. Uh, since I arrived, um, my very first conversation with Pastor Will was about the relationship between the two churches. Um, so from day one, um, we've been working to kind of blur the lines between the two churches to work together to minister to Battle Creek and to care for our congregations. Um, support has moved beyond individual individuals. Um, hey, we're going to send five people to this thing you're doing. Why don't you send some people to this thing we're doing? It's moved beyond that to more program-driven, program uh, organizational level. And so with Pastor Will and myself, we've been committed to growing this partnership, supporting each other, and planning ministry activities together. And so this is where I believe that God has been leading us and calling us now. You see the, the bubbles have been moving closer and closer together. And if you go to the next slide, oh, did I mess it up? They just, there it is. Hope for a search. <laughs> this is truly where I believe God has been leading us as an organization and as a church. So I know that there's going to be a million questions. I want to answer some that I know uh, are probably top of mind for many. What initiated this conversation? Um, hopefully the moving circles give you a little bit of an uh, answer to that. But um, when I came and interviewed here uh, with the board, um, on the drive home, I told Jessica, I said, like, I feel called to Battle Creek first, like, no doubt. Like, that's kind of a settled thing. But for some reason, this Hope Church thing intrigues me. And I felt guilty about it because it was like, <laughs> we came all the way up here and spent time and all that stuff. And, and the, the first church thing seemed settled. Like, yeah, that's, of course, where we're going to go. But I'm really curious what God's doing over at Hope, which felt weird to me. Um, not that I wasn't interested in first church, but there just was this sense of if I come to first church, Hope Church will have something to do with it. So I had that kind of hunch coming in. And like I said, the first week that I was here, I think it was Monday of the first week I was here, Will stopped by and wanted to talk to me. And he and I are both terribly awkward with small talk. Like we're just, and so it was just awkward about, I don't know, the weather or something. And he just stopped. We just, he just interrupted. He's like, well, let me get to the point. I think, I think we, should, we should work together more than we are. Um, so that's where that started, day one for me, um, thinking about what that looks like. Why would we consider this merger? Why would we consider this a time like Well, there's kind of two elements. Um, the number one for me is missional. Um, as that says, I think we're better together. Um, the idea that there's 78,000 people out there as well as how many ever people in here that need care and ministry and leadership and um, need to live life in the church as part of the congregation, um, I, th I think we're just we're better together. Um, the other one is we can, well, so that's kind of missional. We can do more inside these walls, but ultimately we can do more in our community as well. Um, this merger would create some unique situations that would allow us to reach our community in ways that we could not do apart. Um, and I'll explain more of that in a moment. Um, the second is why would we consider this merger? Um, one's missional, two is just kind of the reality of things. Um, Hope Church has reached a, a point in its life cycle where it's really hard for them uh, to put programs and to do the type of things that people looking for a church are able to do. We are, we are so fortunate for even being a small church here that we have the resources and the people serving. Uh, many of the people at Hope have served for a long time, but some of them, are their health has declined and all of that. Um, and again, we just, we think working together, we put all of our chips on the table. That's probably a poor analogy for a Nazarene 
um, put all of our tools in, in one toolbox. Um, you know, I think of the church in Acts where they said they had all things in common. It meant that they just brought everything they had to the table and said, whatever we need to use, it's available. Um, so that's, that's the, why we're considering it. That's some of the benefits. Who decides if this merger happens? It's not me. It's not your, your board. It's not Pastor Will. Um, you decide if this happens. Um, the ultimate decision comes from a congregational vote that would have to happen. Um, the board has listened to this and has given strong approval. Um, our district superintendent has met with Will and myself several times and has given approval. The district advisory board has given support and approval for this. Um, there's been a lot of behind-the-scenes conversations before we even wanted to bring it to you guys. Um, ultimately, you all decide. The membership of the church decides if this merger happens or not. What is the timeline for this proposed merger? Well, we're introducing it to you today. Uh, on July 31st at 6 p.m. in the evening, we're going to have a town hall uh, joint town hall. We're inviting Hope Church to come here as well, in which we'll do a similar presentation to this, just kind of make sure everybody's on the same page, and then open it up for questions and answers. Time of prayer, maybe even a time of of worship in there as well. Um, And then the separate congregations will be able to vote for their their piece. Um, So by the end of July... We will know if we have a direction or not. And that may feel sudden. It feels, it feels sudden for me, for somebody who's been sitting on this for almost two years now. Um, but the reality is once we make a decision and we figure out where we're, what we feel God's calling us to do, there's no reason to, to sit and to drag it out. Um, and so while it, it may feel quick, um, I think it's the right move. From there, if, if the vote is a yes on from Hope Church congregational vote and our vote, if both then there's some things that happen behind the scenes with the district and the Nazarene church at large. But we're shooting to have our first, uh, if it goes through, we would have our first joint worship service together um, at the end of August. Um, again, not a long, drawn-out process, but that's intentional. Um, let me answer some other questions about ministry strategy. Um, can you go to the, that's the one. Um, Ministry strategy, like what are we trying to do? Um, and I said there would be unique situations created by this. Traditional ministries centered at the first church campus. So what that means, oh, let me read the next point too. Hope Campus becomes the center for community and missional ministries, right? So then we can go to the next slide. Um, traditional ministries at first church campus. What that means is that here on our site, Sunday morning worship, Sunday school, age-level ministry, um, children and teens, connect groups, Sunday school classes, all that type of stuff, right? What you think of when you think of traditional Sunday church activities, Wednesday church activities, the traditional ministries would be here. So we'd be inviting the Hope Congregation to come and participate with us um, and become a part of us as we gather this way. Um, this is why it's, it's asking the Hope Congregation to a little bit more than what's asking us um, to give up. Um, if you go to the next one, uh, community and missional ministries at Hope Church campus. Um, <clears throat> if you've been at Hope Church, you know that it's a large facility. Um, it has a lot of rooms. Um, one of the things they have is an amazing fellowship hall downstairs with a kitchen and a ton of space down there. Um, and so the initial move would be for us to designate the Hope Building as more of a community-centered, non-traditional ministry, missional center. So the food pantry would relocate out of there. It would have a lot more room, a lot more space, and we could design some of the layout specifically to meet the needs of the food pantry. It doesn't mean we can't still serve food out of this location as needed, but it would mean that we would have the ability to expand and be present in a more downtown location. Um, the goal of that ministry, obviously, is to help people that have needs and to put it right in the middle of that neighborhood um, could have a tremendous impact on people with food insecurity. Um, so, the, again, oh, go back real quick. 
Can you go back? Yeah. Um, the and dot, dot, dot. So his hand food pantry, and this is where we pray and we listen and, and try and determine what God is calling us to do, but also what are the needs of our neighborhood. And so as I've been talking with ministry leaders and members of the board, kind of behind the scenes, getting their ideas, thinking what their thoughts are on this, there's been a lot of really neat creative ideas that have come up um, that we could utilize that facility uh, to reach our community. Uh, people have mentioned English as second language classes. Uh, it's been mentioned that it could be used as a meeting place for supervised foster care visits um, because that's such a, a difficult thing to navigate. Um, life skills courses, non-traditional worship services. Did you know that a growing percentage of jobs in our society are not Monday through Friday, but non-traditional, non-scheduled? Like, so people that want to come to church on Sundays even have the difficulties of doing that because a lot of people work on the weekends now. So we could do non-traditional services like a Tuesday night and do something that reached um, people that aren't able to attend on Sunday. Uh, soup kitchen, uh, laundry resources, the, the sky's the limit. Somebody's talked about making a, a coffee shop, cafe type of thing that, I mean, really, the, whatever your imagination can tackle becomes a possibility here. But it's going to be based off of what God is calling us to do and what the needs of the community truly are. Um, so that's kind of the, the framework there. Is that making sense? So the traditional churchy-looking stuff would happen here at first. The non-traditional missional community focus would, would be centered out of uh, the Hope location. Um, moving together, what are the steps to, that would make this happen if we decide to go this route? Um, the first, and this is the biggest one for me, is to ensure that everyone understands the vision and the mission of the church. This isn't a tactic this isn't a, a novelty. This is mission-driven, right? This is, and I hope you're, you're sensing that as I'm explaining it. This is a tool that would allow us to use the resources that we have to reach our communities in ways that we're not currently structured and able to do that. This is a missional thing. And so everything rests upon the mission. I don't want to do this just to prop up uh, small churches or to, to keep services going or something at, at whatever, like this isn't just a, a survival tactic for, for some. This is a missional thing. Becoming one church with one identity, with the goal of reaching our community with the good news of Jesus. Um, another step would be to develop and share the timeline of merger activities. Obviously, that's already kind of been in the works. Um, but I don't want anybody to feel like they, things are happening that they don't know about. No one should be surprised or left wondering what is going on in their church. And so this is, would be a commitment from me and other leadership to share every step of the way um, so that nobody is left in the dark or wondering what's going on in their church. Uh, another step would be to showcase First Church's ministries with a clear invitation for the Hope Congregation to join. Um, what I mean by that is that we would open our door welcoming, inviting in the members of the Hope Church, inviting them to participate and serve in the ministries of our church, not just in the things that we don't want to do or we don't have people to do, like why don't you go change those nasty diapers, um, but inviting them to come and find their place in the life of the church. It may be in our strongest ministries, it may be in our favorite places, but making room, uh, letting people know all that we have available for them to come and be a part of our family. Um, Another step would be create deliberate opportunities for fellowship that involves both congregations. Um, just kind of doing the mixer type stuff. Like, let's get everybody together and get to know one another. Um, the quicker the us and them distinction is overcome, uh, the better a new church culture would be. Uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, at some point, we would have a definitive end date on worship activities and Sunday school activities at Hope. Um, the second line there is super important, ensuring that all of the Hope congregation can transition to Hope First, Hope or to First Church. Um, there are several people in that congregation that go there because they can get ride there. It's in their neighborhood. They can walk there, and so making sure that no one is left behind, no one is left out, no one feels like their church is leaving them out. Um, it's our on us as First Church to make sure that they um, have every opportunity available to come and join us here. Uh, and then at some point, we transition the food pantry operations over to the Hope Campus. Um, I think that would be a good time to celebrate, uh, maybe make a work day with a party afterwards or something. I don't know, but um, that would have to happen. And then 
uh, just kind of some logistical stuff, close out the financial responsibilities and bookkeeping for Hope Church and move everything into one organization. Otherwise, it could get really complicated, uh, and we don't want that. Simple is better. Um, And then the complicated part is develop and implement a budget plan for the combined church. We know that it's not as simple as adding one plus one and getting two. There will be some dynamics at play that could, um, you know, my hope is that people get excited about the missional opportunities and want to give and support and volunteer and do more. There is the potential that people get discouraged or frustrated and take a wait-and-see attitude or I'm not on that team type of thing, and there may be some negative impacts as well. So, um, And then... Uh, ultimately an important one is a naming system to clarify locations we do not want to keep calling this uh, First Church and that Hope Church because we'd want to become one organization Um, I'm not saying we'd have to change our name but we'd have to figure out together what uh, naming system we would use um, what we'd refer to the the community missional center over at Hope what we'd refer to that as and I've got a lot of different ideas I've been soliciting suggestions from church leadership over the over the last few weeks um, so anyways that would come up but we didn't we'd need to figure out how to communicate clearly what we're talking about when we talk about things uh, and then the other thing is make sure that Hope congregation is included in the leadership of the church that's not like you come over here and do what we tell you to do but that those that are in leadership over there have the opportunity to have a voice and speak for their their congregants as well from day one. Um, one of the things I'd want to do is develop a membership type class or a similar type of gathering that communicates culture and missional identity of the church. Uh, I think I'm leaning towards like a pizza with a pastor thing where you'd sign up for you know 10 or 12 people at a time, sit around the table and talk about what it means to be uh, part of this church. Um, but that's to be determined. Uh, later, but we'd want to do something like that, something relational. Um, And then develop methods of providing regular updates on the process and celebrating milestones. Um, Again, we're deliberately not trying to drag this out, but I still don't want anybody wondering, well, what are we going to do, and did it get done, and did it work, or whatever. Um, So celebrating milestones. I know a big question that I had when I brought it up is, well, what's going to happen to uh, Pastor Will and other folks uh, how would that all work together? Um, part of Pastor Will's conversation with me has been that he did not want to um, be a, the senior pastor. Like when we talked about like laying out a structure, it was not something he wanted to do, be senior pastor or even a co-pastor model. Um, Susie, if you can go to the next slide. Yeah. So I'll, we'll get more detailed. So don't, don't worry about not being able to read that. I, wanna, I just wanted you to see kind of that there is a map, there is a plan, and we'll detail in on the plan in a second. Um, Will has expressed a desire. He, number one, wants to make sure that the Hope people transition well. And so he wants to make that a primary goal of his, uh, his ministry. Um, but also he wants to help the church grow in its sense of care and community. So Pastor Will would stay on as a pastor of community and care, or care and community, and he would provide pastoral support for the food pantry. Um, he would provide leadership and visitation and care. Uh, he would support our discipleship ministries and work on developing and growing community ministries. Um, you know, some of you know that he started uh, working in a, a community garden at the Arboretum out by Hope. And he really wants to do more of that and develop our relationships with our community. Um, so that's kind of where Will would land. Um, Hannah's role would stay pretty much the same, worship and engagement. Um, you can go, no, no, no change there from what she's currently doing, although it would look different being a little bit part of a, a bigger team. Um, the next one, uh, Tabitha, as part of her uh, ordination, is, is uh, there's a requirement that you have an assigned position in the Church of Nazarene, and so back a while ago we um, developed this pastor-to-families role, and I know that's it kind of sounds like children's pastor or something. That's not what that is. Um, pastor of families is building off of her employment at the daycare and developing that out a little bit more. So when I wrote up her job description to submit to the district for approval, I modeled it after uh, chaplain job description for private schools. So it's providing spiritual care for the families of the daycare and the staff of the daycare. 
Um, and so she'd be part of our pastoral team in that sense. Um, uh, and then with that, many of you know Gabe Bielen, uh, who is, uh, as of a week ago, a district licensed minister on the Church of Nazarene. Um, it says TBD there because I want to be able to, um, number one, create a responsibility for him that is part of his passion, calling, and gifting, but also meets the requirements that he needs as a district licensed minister. So that hasn't been fully developed yet, but also as that missional thing kind of grows, whether it be life skills or community outreach or non-traditional services, uh, we may want to develop something specifically. But anyways, Gabe would be a part of our team as a district licensed minister. Um, My role, I mean, senior pastor, um, would focus on the preaching and teaching ministries of the church and administration of the church as an organization. Um, It doesn't mean I would give up on visitation care, that type of stuff, but it would mean that we would have members of a team that were specifically focused on areas that they maybe are more gifted in, um, and so um, along the strength of our staff to shape our, our week-in, week-out activities. Um, anyway, uh, that's that. Um, like I said uh, a little bit ago, town hall meeting July 31st uh, from 6 p.m., both congregations would come together with an opportunity for the membership to vote. Uh, I haven't talked with anybody about this yet, but I think we'd even take a survey of non-membership, although according to our polity, the vote is only for membership. I think it would be good to hear what any non-members would would feel. Um, Hope was supposed to have their congregational presentation like this today, uh, but Will is out with COVID, so that did not happen. Um, They will be having that next week. And I was a little bit hesitant to share this out today, knowing that the Hope Congregation wasn't having the same conversation. But then I realized that this type of thing becomes like the worst-kept secret in the world anyways. And so it would be better to get the real information out and not let rumors or speculation kind of... Because they're announcing the town hall meeting, so there's people talking about why they're having a town hall meeting. Um, Anywho, that's that, and questions and comments will be uh, answered from there. Um... I do want to, to take a moment as that, that, I mean, that concludes that presentation. Um, I do want to say this. Uh, we've spent a lot of time thinking logistics, structure, uh, even org chart, that type of thing. Um, even the best plan won't work if it's not what God has for us. And so I'm inviting you into a, a time where I'm asking you to commit for the next few weeks to pray to pray often. Um, this is a significant decision that we can make. Um, it would change the shape of some things. Um, and so I'd, I'm in asking and inviting you to join with me and the other church members in, in prayer um, over what God would have us to do. There's a lot of things that make me nervous. Um, about a significant change. There's things that, that, there's questions that I don't have all the answers to. Um, but I wouldn't have brought this to you if I didn't think God was in this somewhere. So I'm asking you to, to, to come and, and, and join alongside those of us who have been praying about this already and determining if, uh, if you feel God is, is leading us into this type of ministry moving forward. Um, I've got, I don't know why I brought them up here with me, because um, they do me no good up here. Just little cards. They say better together, and it's got a date for the town hall meeting. Um, but I want to put these in your hands as you leave today so you can stick them on your fridge to pray or wherever in your bathroom or wherever you, you'll notice it on a regular basis and, uh, and pray often. Or maybe stick it in your Bible or whatever. Um, so I'm going to take these in the back with me, maybe set them out, make sure people get them on their way out. I would love to have conversations with you over the next couple of weeks before this town hall. If you have questions, feel free to, to email, call. Um, you can stop by. I can't always guarantee that I'll be in my office um, if you just stop by at random times because I am coming and going a lot more these days. Um, but uh, I'd love to chat with you if you have questions, concerns, 
I don't want this to be something that, well, we call a new pastor, and then he comes in, and a year and a half later wants to change everything. I don't want that to be the narrative. So. Um, but I'd ask that you would join uh, me in prayer, um, not only in the weeks to come, but let's, let's pray now, um, if you will. Heavenly Father, um, we seek your will. More than anything, um, statistics tell us that there's 78,000 people in our area that don't have any affiliation to church. When they experience a health crisis, death of a loved one, uncertainty with work or financial stuff, they, they don't have a church to turn to. As we've experienced loss and difficult seasons in the life of the church, we've often commented about how much of a blessing it is to walk with church family through these difficult times. And we acknowledge that there's a lot of people that don't have that. And so we pray this morning um, that whether we see this relationship with Hope Church as the next step forward or not, that you would make us missionally minded, that you would help us learn to uh, invite others to your table, make them feel welcome, help them find their way and their place. Father, we pray for these uh, this decision that we will be making uh, about the future of our churches. We pray that you would speak clearly, that there'd be no doubt, no um, question as to what you'd have for us. Um, Father, we just want to do what you call us to do. We want to be faithful to this great mission you've invited us to participate in. We see the the story of Jesus, his life, his ministry, and we just want want to do what our master does. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to reach those who need him. We want to bring life to places that need it. We want to bring peace to places that are disturbed and at conflict. We want to bring love into a community that's shaped by enemy-making, by frustration, by divisiveness. So, Father, be with your church. May we hear clearly from you. We thank you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.